Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in my final year of seminary, I had a friend who asked me to fill in and preach at his church one Sunday morning. He had labored for the previous years as a full-time student and a full-time pastor, and he needed a little break. Also, he was given tickets to a Carolina Panthers football game, though I was forbidden from telling his church that that was where he was instead of with them on a Sunday morning for worship. The tiny little United Methodist Church was in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, and I was nervous about leading worship for a congregation that I had never met. However, I figured God is good and that God would show up even if my sermon fell flat. The sanctuary was simple and charming with white walls and fluorescent lights hanging from the ceiling. There was a cross above the altar that was draped with an American flag, and it was so quiet that I actually thought that maybe I had showed up at the wrong church. However, within a couple minutes, the lay leader of the church arrived and greeted me enthusiastically as if I were a first-time visitor of the church, only to later realize that I was the stand-in pastor for the day. He quickly guided me through the sanctuary, gave me the grand tour, he even showed off the recently renovated bathroom, and then informed me that he was the head usher, the liturgist, the organist, and the church treasurer. From what I can remember, the service went fairly well, though most of the congregation was utterly bewildered by my academic deconstruction of an apocalyptic prophecy from the book of Daniel, something I thankfully gave up doing that day, and there was an infant who wailed throughout the entirety of the sermon. I like to think that she liked my preaching so much that it drove her to tears. Anyway, when the service ended, I finally had a better chance to look around the sanctuary, and I noticed a list on the wall behind the pulpit for the hymns of the day. The offering brought in from the week before, and there at the very bottom was the deficit regarding the annual budget. There, in big numbers for everyone to see, was how far away they were from keeping up with their plan, and it was a staggering amount of money. On my way out, I thanked the lay leader, usher, organist, and church treasurer, the man with many hats, for the opportunity to preach, and I asked why the church felt the need to display the deficit for everyone to see every Sunday. And I'll never forget how casually he shrugged his shoulders, and he said, Guilt! It's the only way to get them to give. Guilt. It's the only way to get them to give. Why do we give to the church at all? Taking time to talk about financial giving in the church is about as awkward and as uncomfortable as it gets. Money, in general, is one of those taboo subjects of normal conversations. We don't ask how much someone makes in a year, even if we're curious. We avoid asking for financial assistance or help because it requires too much vulnerability. But then we take the taboo subject of money and put it together with religion, another taboo, and we get the double whammy of things we don't like talking about. It seems like some things never change. The Pharisees and the Herodians wanted to trap Jesus in his words. Tell us, they said, shall we pay our taxes to the emperor or not? There is no good answer to that question. If Jesus said, yes, of course you must pay our taxes, it would cause a rift among those who suffered under the weight of dictatorial Roman rule. And if Jesus said, no, you don't owe the government anything, his critics would have charged him with insurrection and he would have been murdered on the spot. And it was all about money. Jesus, however, answered in a way that has captured the hearts and minds of Christians for millennia. Bring me a coin. Whose head is this and whose title? The people responded, the emperor's. But Jesus said, 
Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When the crowds heard his response, they were amazed, and they went away. Two thousand years later, and here we are. Taxes and money and giving, they still drive us crazy. It's a hard subject to talk about. I certainly don't enjoy it. We, and by we, I really mean you and me, we would rather have a service about grace and mercy than one about sin and sacrifice. Which is strange when we consider the fact that Jesus talked about money more than just about anything else during his earthly ministry. For Jesus, money was a subject worth confronting because it had taken over the lives of his peers and it was leading them on a path of disappointment and regret and fear. But today we don't like talking about money because what we do with our money is personal and private, right? To talk about giving in the church, to address the subject of why we give, we have to get personal. It would be shameful for me to stand in church every week calling for the gathered people to give their gifts to God if I myself was afraid to talk about my own giving. If we want to be a church of gifts, then we must first be a church of vulnerability and honesty and transparency. Before I became a pastor, I rarely gave to the church. I have vivid memories of sitting in church throughout my adolescence, feelings of Waves of guilt as I passed the offering plate over my lap to whomever else was in the pew. It helped that I was a kid and had no money to give in the first place, but the guilt, it was still there. It's a powerful thing here at Cokesbury when the children come up for their message and they place their offering in the plate. They are creating a habit of generosity that was largely absent from my childhood. They are living into the reality that the care of other people is sometimes more important than the care of the self. By the time I made it to college and seminary, I still attended church, but rarely gave to the church. I certainly volunteered my time, I did things like lead mission trips and taught Bible studies, but giving money to the church was not on my radar. And then I was appointed to my first church. I had a steady income, my wife Lindsay and I started to tithe. And honestly, it was really, really hard. We were a young married couple with a lot of seminary debt, and then we had a baby Yet we covenanted with each other and with God to give 10%. In the first six months, it was way harder than I thought it would be. I would find myself thinking about those thousands of dollars that I could have spent on other things. But we got into a habit, and we kept giving. And after a while, it became pretty easy because I just withheld the 10% from my paycheck, and after time, I stopped thinking about it at all. But that's not the point. Giving is something we have to think about. It is something we have to do. And then I was appointed to Cokesbury. We had to move and buy a house. It was a lot easier when the money was taken out automatically because I never thought about it, but now I needed to write a check and place it in the plate. There is a place of power and privilege that comes with being a pastor of the church, particularly when it comes to money. I get to sit up at the altar while the offering plate makes its way throughout the sanctuary. But the covenant to give is not one for pastors alone, nor is it for lay people alone. The covenant to give is one made by all Christians, one that is challenging, one that is difficult, but one that is ultimately what faith is all about. My conversion toward tithing did not happen in a big, shiny moment, but was a gradual transformation. The more I give, the longer the habit continues, the better it becomes, not because it's easy, but because my vision starts to change. 
Instead of imagining what I could do with the money I've given to church, I've started tangibly witnessing what the money I give is doing for the church and for God's kingdom. Giving to church requires a conversion. It is built on a vision where we recognize how our blessings can be used to bless others. It is built on the knowledge that we give. We give because so much has been given to us. It is built on the call to give not out of guilt, but out of generosity. We are called to give because we have a shared vision and are invited into the mission of God through the thing called the church. Even a seemingly small act of generosity can grow into something far beyond what we could ever imagine. Something like the creation of a community of love in this world called the church. Our generosity, it's what helps God build the kingdom here on earth. But we should not be expected to give nor feel inclined to give without knowing why or to what we are giving. To just stand before the church and say, give, 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 or to have a sign on the wall about the finances prevents all of us from developing strong relationships with the people and the programs we serve. So here are just three aspects of what Cokesbury does with the gifts of God's people. At Cokesbury, we believe in providing meaningful, fruitful, and life-changing worship every week of the year. We plan months in advance, we connect messages with the music, and we look for imaginative ways to respond to God's word in the world. This means that we keep our sanctuary in the best shape possible for the worship of the Lord. We use the gifts of all involved in the church to make it happen. As a church, we regularly welcome first-time visitors with us to discover God's love in this place and help to develop professions of faith in Jesus Christ. At Cokesbury, we believe in nurturing those in the midst of their faith journeys. We spend significant time and resources to help disciples grow in their faith and their love of God and neighbor. We have numerous classes and opportunities to study God's Word, whether it's through Sunday school or the Thursday night Bible study or vacation Bible school every summer. Everyone that participates in any of the groups is able to take what they learn and apply it to their daily lives, whether they're 8 or they're 80. And at Cokesbury, we believe in witnessing to our faith in service beyond ourselves. We strive to serve those in need through a mosaic of opportunities in order to be Christ's body for the world. Every year, we have a portion giving that directly impacts people in our local community and across the world. We provide support to agencies in our area like Hildebarg and Axe and others. We help people with acute needs through discretionary accounts. And we have a great number of other missional activities that are all focused on helping others experience God's love through the work of the church. We give from our abundance to bless others, whether it's the people in the pews next to us on Sunday morning who gather for worship, kids from the community who show up for church events, or the countless people around the world who need help. We give out of generosity because so much has been given to us. Sometimes when we read the story about Jesus' response to the question of taxes, we're liable to water it down to something like, Jesus leaves the choice up to us. Rather than falling into the trap of the Pharisees or the Herodians, rather than siding with the empire or inciting insurrection, Jesus breaks down the question and he puts the ball back in our court. But that leaves the passage without saying much of anything at all, and it prevents it from wringing out the stinging truth. We can put all of our trust in our money. We can use it to do all sorts of things in the world. But if we think that it belongs to us, or it's come to us simply because we deserve it, then we have failed to recognize the one from whom all blessings flow. This passage about money, it isn't so much about whether or not we should pay our taxes. Instead, it calls into question what we're doing with our money, and why we're doing what we're doing. 
It forces us to confront whether or not we believe God is the source of our being or if we believe that material objects can bring us satisfaction in this life. It begs us to reconsider what we've spent our money on and if it helped the kingdom at all. So friends, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Just always remember that as Christians, we believe that we and everything we hold dear belong to the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.